Okay, so we're still holding at 19,611 and it looks like it's going to be a great week because the, NAS the, the, the Bitcoin chart is not the only chart that's telling us that something's happening. If you look at the NASDAQ chart, the NASDAQ chart is up, the futures are up 1.5%, the NASDAQ's, the NASDAQ futures are up over 11,316. So it looks like it could be a great week and in particular because there may be a big, big, big short position in the NASDAQ, but it's not about how we feel, it's about what the data tells us. And so today we're going to look at the data to tell us whether this pump can actually last. Then we're going to look at Aptos and Aptos is launching today and uh, it's been much anticipated, but the launch of Aptos has been marred by a whole lot of controversy. We'll look at Aptos and decide whether it's worth buying Aptos. And then we will look for, we'll look at Doquan because apparently he's been found. So we'll, 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 we'll chase, we'll track down where Doquan has been found and we'll see what the man has got to say for himself. Cool. Should we do it? Let's go. Fuck out of bed, bitch, go. Get up, get up, I think they got go. Gotta wake up, gotta wake up, bitch, get up. Get up, get up. Get up. Stop the good evening, good evening, good evening, good evening thing because a lot of people were texting us and saying it just ruins their day to hear that so early in the morning. So we're not, we're not doing that good evening thing. You're welcome to delete it, okay? So delete it, delete it, delete it. Welcome back, DJs. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. There's a big show here today. We've got a, we've got a lot. We've got a guest on today who's going to tell us whether we've seen the bottom or not. Also, he's going to tell us how big the next cycle is going to be. Let me tell you, this guy is super, 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 super smart. Once you listen to him, I'm sure you guys are going to follow him. We're going to talk about Aptos. We're going to talk about how whether you should be investing in Aptos. Is there an opportunity in Aptos? Should you be buying it? There's a whole lot of controversy around Aptos. Um, I'll share my views with you and we'll also look at a fair valuation for Aptos and decide whether it's worth investing in Aptos I mean, or what price it's worth investing in Aptos because of course, every, everything, everything, everything has a price. Uh, then Do Kwan. There's uh, been an interview between Do Kwan and Laura Shin. We're going to go through some key segments in that interview and maybe try and identify where Doquan is. And there's a whole lot of other juicy, juicy, juicy things in that interview. Uh, then I've got some FTX news. I've got some other altcoin news. Uh, we're going to look at the Bybit and BitGet trading competition. In fact, maybe we should look at the Bybit and BitGet trading competition now before we start. Uh, how are people doing? Well, there's 1,008 people playing in our Bybit competition. I think that number should go up. Uh, maybe at the end of the show, I will fund some more accounts. You've got until the end of the show. To go down to the bottom of the video over here Maybe at the end of the show i will go here sign up with one of our referral links otherwise you can't win and then click the buy registration or the bitkit registration depending on which one you want to play currently as it stands there are some people that have over 122 percent return in less than 24 hours okay now the interesting thing is that not all of these guys are eligible to win you see so not, not all of them are eligible to win like this guy here can't win 
even if he wins, he can't win because he hasn't signed up using our referral link. Um, on BitKit as well, I saw that there were people with over a hundred percent return. There's one person with over a hundred percent return in 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 two days, and that guy is not Kyle Dupes. Kyle, have you have you traded yet in the competition, Kyle? No, nothing. You haven't you haven't put in one trade? Okay, I did just put in one, but it's not, it hasn't moved much. Yet, so. what, what did you put in? It's in the Discord. It's, it's in the Discord. Guys, if you're not part of our Discord, go to our Discord. Uh, everything is in there. And we've also started a new channel. And if it's not there yet, there will be a new channel tomorrow specifically for people playing the trading competition. If you want to know how to sign up to our Discord, here it is. Just click on this and just go to the Crypto Banter Hub and you'll be in our Discord. Cool. Let's get the show on the road. Um, people are saying can't, unfortunately. Why can't? Everyone can participate. It's open to everyone. Even if you're in the United States, just go to BitGet. And when it just asks you whether you're in the United States or not, you know what to do. Uh, I don't want to tell you what to do. You know what to do. All right, let's go. Let's talk about the market. But before we do that, if you're new to the channel, subscribe. 91% uh, of you are subscribed. So we're getting closer to that 100%. We'll push towards 100%. I don't think we can ever get to 100%, but we will push towards 100%. Um, if you're new to the channel, if you're not new to the channel, just like this content. Uh, help us get it out there. This is going to be an uh, alpha pack show. We're starting the show at 5 minutes and 15 seconds, so much quicker than normal because of that one lonesome person who told us that we weren't doing very well. So quickly, let's just recap where we are at. So here we are, Bitcoin 19,625. We are on Tuesday, second day of the week, second day of a strong week. The NASDAQ looks like it's also pretty good. Uh, the futures are up 1.48%, 11,324. Remember, these are the December futures, so the, what you will be seeing on your screen is slightly different. There is another chart that's probably worth looking at, and that's the Dixie. And the Dixie is now broken below 112, which is good. So remember, for me, when it comes to Dixie, there's two levels that I'm looking at. The first level that I'm looking at is I want to make sure that we break below the parabola. So right now, we're hovering on this parabola. And then once we break through that parabola, I kind of want to see it us going uh, below this 111 level, below this trend line level, which is somewhere around the 111 level. And for me, that would give me an indication that the, that the Dixie has turned. This week on Friday, we don't have a banter show. We've got Arthur Hayes coming on the show. And we're talking about a whole lot of macro things with him. And one of the things that he's going to talk about, I know for sure, is going to be the Dixie. So it's going to be a massive show. Anyway, we're not going to go with emotion here. Even though it feels like it's going to be a big week, we're not going to go with emotion here. We're going to go with data. And the data comes from a friend of ours, Steve from Crypto Cree University. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited to have you. I know we tried to get you here a few times, and I think we finally, finally, finally managed to, to nail it, right? We did. We did. Third time's awesome. a charm. Awesome. And listen, so um, I have a few questions for you, but I guess the, 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 the biggest questions are, I want to know whether we've hit the bottom. That's the first thing. I want to know how long you think this mess is going to last. And I kind of want to know what you think is going to happen on the next cycle. That's kind of like where my headspace is at. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Show me what your charts are saying. Great. So we'll start here with the three-day death cross. Now, in Bitcoin's entire history, we've only had three of them, most recently at 17,500. But what happened before, if we zoom in to 2015, now the death cross is when this green line, the 50 MA, crosses below the 200 MA. Right after it happened in 2015, we capitulated to the bottom within one month. In 2018, as soon as we had that cross again for the second time in history, we did exactly the same thing. We capitulated right down to our bottom within one month. 2022... A lot of people think, hey, this is a curveball. Hey, it's different. This time is different. Well, 
what we did was we had the death cross, only the third in history, and we capitulated right to our market bottom within one month. So when we reached this bottom, I looked at a lot of different charts to try to get some understanding of have we reached the bottom? This is another chart I like to use and I used back in 2018, but this is the 100 MA and the 20 MA on the weekly. When these cross, they cross at precisely the market bottom. It happened at precisely the market bottom in 2015. The only other time in history it crossed was 2018 when it marked precisely the market bottom. And fast forward to 2022, these lines crossed at 17,500. So then you start thinking, okay, well, maybe the market bottom is in. Why is everybody saying that we're going a lot lower? This is precisely what happened at the 2018 bottom. And that's why I would proceed with caution. If you're waiting for 10K or sub 10K, there's a lot of data to suggest we have reached the bottom at 17,500. That's where we've stood ever since. If you look at this too, this will put it in perspective. We've been in this golden zone once, twice, three times, four times. Only four times in history we've been in this golden zone. So if you look at the big picture and you say, okay, I'm waiting for 8K, I'm waiting for 7K, please understand right now in Bitcoin is one of the five best buying opportunities that we've ever seen. And that's not up for debate right well, now. What is, Bitcoin, the, well, what is the golden zone? How do we get, how do we determine where that golden zone is? Good question. So this is the 21 monthly MA. Okay. This box is not drawn to scale. Sorry. This is the, the, the size of the box is irrelevant. What's important is, are we below the 21 month and has the monthly RSI touched this 43 level in history? We've touched it once and twice, both of which were at market bottoms. And now we're under it, meaning we're the most oversold that Bitcoin has ever been in history. That's not up for debate. That's just the facts in front of us. So if you're waiting for a lot lower numbers, just understand we are the most oversold we've ever been in Bitcoin's 13 year history. So I think that's a that's a point that goes a little bit overlooked. But then we start getting into, OK, if we're in a market bottom, when is this going to be over? Like, when can we be out of this? This is one of my favorite charts. The stochastic RSI is at the bottom, and that's basically our momentum. When the blue line is on top, it's bullish. When the red line is on top, it's bearish. The key metric is, are we going below this 20 level? The 20 level tells us that we've lost our momentum. When we go below this 20 level, generally we're down here for several hundred days. So far, we've been down there for almost 300 days. But the key is when this when this stochastic RSI crosses back above the 20 level, that marks when the market new cycle will start. The bull run started right here. And okay. you can see when we crossed above it on the 20 level back here in 2019, that's when that latest bull run started. And what we're looking for is for this to cross back above the 20 level. And if you look at where we're at in terms of how far down, it's at least several months at, at the fastest rate, at least several months until we cross above here. But it's probably more like six to 10 months. So, okay, so, you, so, you, so, so if, I, if I conclude correctly from that, what you're saying is we are at oversold levels. So Bitcoin 
does represent value. You think that we've seen the bottom when we hit that 17,200, 17,500, depends where you were looking. You think that that was the bottom based on your indicators, but you don't think that we're going to go into a new cycle for six to 10 months. Yeah, I still think that there's a whole bunch of consolidation that should happen to build a healthy market structure for the next bull run. And because we've gotten destroyed so much, these markets take time to recover. What we don't want is what happened in 2018 for a quick recovery because it's not sustainable. And you can see what happened. It just wasn't a sustainable growth. We didn't build the proper market structure, which is why the last cycle was so fragmented. So if you were sitting, if you were sitting on the sidelines now with a bit of cash, question is, would you be deploying now? Or would you say, hold on, you know that the new cycle only starts in six to 10 months, rather hold it in cash and wait for the two RSIs to cross over the line? It's a great question. I think it's better late than never in Bitcoin. What you want to do in Bitcoin is always react to what the charts are saying right now. We have no idea when this will cross above. We can project, but what we can't deny is that we're at one of the best buying opportunities ever and that we may have very well reached a bottom. So it's more risky to be out of Bitcoin right now than in Bitcoin. If you're in Bitcoin and we drop lower, you'll still look like a superhero several years from now. But if you miss the opportunity to buy now and you're trying to get cheeky, you're trying to time the exact time we cross above this level, that's when you can get in trouble as a trader. You don't want to trade with emotion. You want to bake it, base everything purely on the facts. Okay, so what you're saying is we're oversold. Good time to be buying now because you don't know when the market's going to turn, even though the new cycle could be a couple of months away. It could be six to 10 months away. Let's talk about the new cycle that you spoke about. And I specifically want to refer to one of your videos where you spoke about 5.3. And I must say, I was... You know, I, I always like look at these things and I always always keep a little bit of doubt in my mind that these charts actually work. But when I saw this, I was like, holy shit, this is this cannot be coincidence. Walk us through it. Yeah, this this blew my mind as well. What I was trying to do is is discover what's happening with these cycles. Can we compare them at all? Are they not comparable? So I was looking at everything. I was looking at setups, patterns. Uh, candles, highs, lows, volume, bars, time. And what I realized is this first cycle went up 320,000%. And then we went to 60,000 and then 11,000 and then 2,000. And you can say, okay, these are diminishing returns, granted. But it, are there any similarities? What I did was I took 320,000 and divided by 5.3. And I got this number. And I said, okay, that's pretty interesting. But what if I took this number and divided by 5.3? That gave me this number. Meaning, using 5.3 and taking this number divided by 5.3, you go to the bottom and you, as long as you know where the bottom is in, the bottom is in, you take this 60,000 from the bottom and it predicts the next all-time high several years before it happened. And then we did the same thing again. We took 60,000 divided by 5.3, we projected out 11,000% from this bottom and it predicted the next market cycle top several years before it happened. And then you may say, well, Bitcoin's three for three. There's no way this will continue. 
but we took 11,442 divided by 5.3. We projected that out 22,200% from the market bottom, and it predicted precisely the market top. Now you may say, okay, that's five for five. This is insane. What does it say for the next cycle? If we take 2,200, we divide by 5.3. It's something like 416% and change. And the number is a little bit scary, meaning if this continues and this pattern continues, it's been continuing for 13 years. If it continues and hypothetically, if this is the market bottom and we just project it out, you know, 400 and 16%, it takes us to roughly $90,000 Bitcoin, which would shock the world. Everyone says it's going to be 500,000 or at least a quarter million. And I would say this is more realistic than a $500,000 Bitcoin. I mean, I would say it's quite a disappointing number. If we're saying that at the end of this, you'd get a $90,000 Bitcoin, which means that Bitcoin would be, depending on when that happened and how many tokens were in circulation, a $1.5 trillion asset at the top of the next cycle. I think what could happen in this next cycle could be a little bit different. This is kind of foreshadowing. And you, you've studied a lot of markets as well. When you have a double top, like we've had here, sometimes this is foreshadowing that we could be range bound for multiple years. Bitcoin could be range bound, you know, with a cycle high of 90 or 70 and a cycle low of around where we are now. We could be in that range for five to seven years and it would be normal because we've had such massive growth in Bitcoin as an asset class. It needs to cool down and build a longer term market structure for future growth. So, Nobody knows where this next cycle top would be, but it's undeniable how fascinating this 5.3 is. And we can't, we can't take it for granted because it's been correct for 13 years. And where did you get 5.3 from? Why, why was it 5.3? Why wasn't it, you know, why wasn't it 5.1 or 4.8 or 6.7? Why was it 5.3? I was just going based on the data and I was trying to decide... Yeah. Are there any commonalities? So I was looking at all sorts of factors, not just percentages. I was looking at time, bars, patterns. I was looking at everything. And 5.3 happened to be the number that worked precisely for every single projection years in okay. advance. Amazing. Steve, so with that in mind and the fact that your, your forecast, your prediction is that Bitcoin is going to 90,000 potentially at the top of the next bull, are you, guys, are you looking at any other tokens, any other markets, or are you solely focused on Bitcoin? I'm focused on Bitcoin. I look at all the markets, but I believe that in order to be an expert at something in life, you need to be an expert at one thing. If I tried to be an expert at seven different industries, I would probably be mediocre, but I want to focus only on Bitcoin. I want to double down, triple down, quadruple down. I want to know the charts inside out, backwards, forwards, sideways, and I want to be an expert in Bitcoin. Amazing. Steve, listen, if people, if our community want to follow you, where can they get hold of you? I know you've got a YouTube channel, Crypto Crew University. Where else should they, where else can they find you? My website, CryptoCrewUniversity.com. We have courses there. Twitter at CryptoCrewU. Uh, we're on TikTok, CryptoCrewU. And that should, that should be enough. Awesome, brother. Thank you so much. I know you're in Australia. You've made a plan to be here with us. Much love from the Banter fan, my friend. Thanks for having me.
Cool. I've been trying to get Stephen for a long time. I mean, the guy, the guy's got amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, you should go. You should go and watch some of his streams. His streams are absolutely amazing, and he simplifies things a lot, as you saw. He simplifies things, and it looks, it looks. Uh, his stuff is really, really good. All right, let's let's move on because there's so much to talk about today. <clears throat> Someone says his green screen is broken. He's in Australia, and he's made a plan to be here with us. So I think instead of complaining about his green screen, just say thank you that the guy was here while he's in Australia. And some people are saying that my five head is shining again because James changed the lights again. Yeah. All right, let's talk about uh, the other big story of the day. And the other big story of the day is the launch of Aptos. So I'm sure you've all heard about Aptos. Um, Aptos is the new layer one blockchain, which there's a whole lot of hype about. Now today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the hype. We're going to understand what Aptos actually is. Then we're going to decide whether we should be buying it and why there's so much controversy around it. And I'm going to give you my view and we can decide together whether or not we should actually be doing that. And, and, and also, I think we must be careful not to fall into the trap, uh, um, uh, not to fall into the trap that most others are falling into when it comes to this token. So quickly, let's talk about what the fuck is Aptos. Aptos is a new layer one blockchain, which, wh whose mainnet launched today or supposed to launch today. We'll talk about that in a second. Now, Aptos is, is a layer one blockchain, which was created by a whole lot of people that were ex-Facebook. So these are the guys that, remember the, the DM project, which was, hit, which was run by David Marcus, who was formerly at PayPal? Well, that project was abandoned, and a whole lot of programmers and developers and engineers from Facebook, they left. And when they left, they started a new layer one project, which they started to code in a language called Move. Now, Move is a, is a language that they specifically created at Facebook, um, uh, a, a, block, a blockchain programming languages. It's a, the language is very similar to Rust, which is the language that Solana is, is written in. So let's quickly just look at when they launched Aptos. This, is the first, um, this was the first uh, Medium article, which was written by Mo Shake. We'll talk about Mo in, in a couple of seconds. He's their CEO at the moment. He's saying, look, we're not starting from scratch. We are the original creators, researchers, designers, and builders of DM, the blockchain that was first built to serve this purpose. While the world never got to see what we built, our work is far from over. And then they said, since we left Meta, since we left Facebook, we have been able to put our ideas into motion, ditch bureaucratic red tape, and build an entirely new network from the ground up that brings them to fruition. So goodbye, Facebook red tape, goodbye, everything else. And now we're building our own blockchain. Um, Aptos will be built in part on technology we've developed in the open in the, in open over the past three years. Aptos is using Move, the safe, reliable programming language, et cetera, et cetera. And this is supposed to be a Solana killer or an Ethereum killer or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it that. But is it going to be a Solana killer? Is it going to be an Ethereum killer? And is there any price at which we should actually be buying this? The first thing is, let's look at who the team are. So if you look at the team, the majority of the team are actually ex-Facebook. The CEO, Mo Shake, is actually not uh, a Facebook guy. So if you look at Mo, uh, if you look at um, uh, the team, yes, yeah. so this is Mo, this is Mohammed Shake. He's the, he is the founder, he is the CEO, um, of Aptos, of the of Aptos um, Labs, or or the, the, the lab, the, the company that's actually building it. Now he's got a interesting background. He's a he's a consulting guy. He's from the BCG Group, etc. But if you look at the rest of the team, the rest of the team, a lot of the the rest of the guys from the team 
are actually uh, ex-Facebook guys. So for example, if you look at Avery Ching, who is his co-founder, he is actually a, an ex-Facebook guy. You can see if you follow his, uh, his CV, he was uh, at Facebook for 10 years from September 2011 uh, to December 2021. He was at Facebook. And if you, if you follow the links on the rest of the team, you'll see that a lot of them have got backgrounds which are, which are ex-Instagram, ex-Facebook. And it's a whole lot of people that obviously used to work at Facebook and were pulled onto this blockchain project and have now fi finally left. So that's who the team are. So then you look at the white paper and you say, like, hold on a second. I want to understand why is this better than Solana? Why is this better than Ethereum? Because that's what it's touted as. It's touted as being much better than Ethereum and, and, and being much better than Solana. But, but why? What, what is it about this that makes it supposedly much better? So apparently one of the things that they think is better is because it's written in the, the move programming language. The other thing is that because it can do what they call parallel transactions, it means that they can do much quicker transactions. So I think Solana can also do parallel transactions. What parallel transactions means is if I'm sending Kyle $10 and then he's sending it to James, instead of that being waiting for the first block to mine and then the second block to mine, you can actually do that in parallels. That's, that's what you call a parallel transaction. That's one of the reasons why they think that the parallel transactions are actually going to be uh, amazing. Um, someone's saying that they will know that I looked at their LinkedIn profile. Great, I did. So... The other thing behind this blockchain is that there is a whole lot of money behind this blockchain. And if you look at the investors here, you can see that their strategic round was $200 million. It was Andreessen, Multicoin Capital, Tiger Global, FTX Ventures, Coinbase Ventures, Parify, Hashed, all the biggest funds in the world, all a block tower capital, all raised, they raised $200 million in their strategic in their Series A, they raised another 150 million. Again, same investors, Jump Capital, Circle, um, and recent Horowitz, Multicoin Capital. And then they raised another 150 million, 150, um, I think this, here, I don't remember the exact amount. What you can see here is that the majority of the investors in Aptos are actually exchanges. You've got FTX Exchange, you've got Binance Labs Exchange, you've got Coinbase Ventures Exchange. So it should come to you guys as no surprise that on the day that they're launching, they're launching, on a they're launching on multiple tier one exchanges. And this is where some of the controversy happened because they're launching on, on, some, on, multiple layer, on multiple tier one exchanges. But until this morning, they hadn't published tokenomics yet. Strange because if you were a big exchange, certainly the first thing you want to do is you want to make sure that your users are protected. You want to make sure that your users are educated before they just put their money into a token. And so it's strange that these big exchanges would make all these listing announcements. Binance said they'd list Aptos. FTX said that they'd list Aptos. By the way, if you look at when Binance and, and FTX said they'll list Aptos, 19th of October at 1 a.m. UTC. Um, and you can see, but, but the exchange is actually going to list it first. 18th of October is going to be Bybit. So if you want to trade it first, you want to be trading it on Bybit. That's when the, the spot will, be, will, will, will do it. Now, Interestingly, I went into the Bybit listing documentation and it says Ap Aptos, one of, so it says, so it basically gives you everything about Aptos, but then it says, it says here, it says, uh, what makes Apto Aptos different, okay? And Aptos, um, it says, one of the Aptos blockchain's main competitors will be Solana, which is currently the hottest high performance layer one available. So far, both Aptos and Solana have similar levels of speed because they're both reliant engines because they both rely on engines that can run computations in parallel. So I went and checked this and I said, hold on a second, let me actually go and check the uh, Aptos blockchain. 
and see how many transactions per second the Aptos blockchain is doing. The Aptos uh, blockchain today, right now, and this is as per their own explorer, so it's not numbers that are made up or running around the internet, can do four or is doing 4.07 transact transactions per second. That's slower than Bitcoin. So that's 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 the first part of it. Um, it compares it. It compares Aptos to Avalanche. Compares Aptos to Ethereum, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But let's move on to where the controversy starts. So the first thing is there were no to tokenomics published until this morning. And when you look at the tokenomics, at face value, they actually look okay. Fifty-one percent goes to the community. Nineteen percent goes to core contributors. Now, to me, that's a very big number. Nineteen percent of a of a layer one blockchain going to core contributors, which is Usually defined as the team, sounds like a huge number, and 13.48% going to VCs. Okay, that we've seen who the VCs are and who they would be, uh, who would be buying, who, who, who the VCs are and, and, and when they invest in and what kind of valuations. Just to give you guys a taste of the valuations that these guys invested in. So um, the new round, which is the latest by Layer 1 Web3 company, was in mid-March where Aptos closed 200 million investment from Tiger Global, Coinbase, and FTX Ventured, valued them at over a billion dollars. Aptos then closed a $150 million Series A in July, also led by FTX along with Jump Crypto and Binance Labs, at a company valuation of more than $2 billion. And the last valuation, from what I've heard, has been at around uh, over $2 billion, probably around two and a half or maybe even $3 billion. $3 billion for a project that hasn't done anything yet? on the promise of a bunch of Facebook developers, but it does seem like a whole lot of these big VC names have actually invested in this. So let's take a deeper look at the, at the tokenomics and what I see in the tokenomics. Firstly, I'm not happy about the fact that 20% of the protocol lies with core contributors and there's no breakdown of the core contributors. Then we look at the token emission schedules and we can see that at face value, it looks like the investors aren't getting any tokens for a year till November 2023. And it looks like the, the core contributors also aren't getting very many tokens until November 23. That's what it seems like at face value. The thing is, though, even though these tokens are sold, are, are locked up, this is where it turns a bit weird. It says both unlocked tokens, tokens that are available, that are available for distribution and locked tokens can be staked, which means that these VCs and all these people whose tokens are locked up will be getting the majority of the validating rewards, the staking rewards, and those validating rewards, they can actually dump onto retail. So be careful of that. What are the validating rewards? Currently, the maximum reward start at 7% annually and is evaluated at each epoch. The maximum reward declines by 1.5% annually until a lower bound of 3.25% annually. So that's the, 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 the validating rewards. Apparently, also Aptos has built itself a very big, um, a very big ecosystem. Okay, so if you follow this, there's a huge Aptos ecosystem that I've never ever heard about. Never heard of a single one of these projects building on Aptos, and now all of a sudden this this project emerges, and it's got a map this big of 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 of, of companies or protocols built on it. I don't fall for this. I don't fall for this. I don't fall for this. Net, net, here's the story for me. We know that there's a billion of a billion tokens in, um, there's a billion tokens. The maximum supply is a billion tokens, which means that 
if the token launches at anything below $2 and you want to be buying it, you're getting it less at lower at a lower price than the VCs. If the token launches anything above $2, what you've got to do is you've got to look at other layer one protocols, fully diluted valuation. So let's look at it and say the following. If we believe that Aptos is as good as, say, for example, Avalanche, okay? Let's just say that we think that, that Aptos is as good as Avalanche. Avalanche is a fully diluted valuation of $11.5 billion. So anything under $11.50, you'd be buying, you'd be, you'd be buying good value if you believe that. I don't believe it, just for the record. I don't believe it. I think Aptos has yet to prove itself. I'm not buying anything until it proves itself, unless it really, really, really collapses. And when I say really collapses, launches under $2, and I can get in at the same valuations or lower valuations than the VCs, then I'm not going to go and buy this. I'm not going to go and buy a protocol which hasn't really proven itself, uh, according to its own Block Explorer, is doing 4.07 tra transactions per second. I'm not buying this. I'm not buying this. Um, uh, I'm not buying this, this, this protocol. If you do want to trade it, as I said to you guys, you can trade it on Bybit. Bybit are going to be the first guys to actually list it. So before FTX and before Binance, that's where you're going to get your price making. So go and have a look at it and decide. Remember, when you want to, when you want to be evaluating this, compare it to other protocols. So even if I look at Near Protocol, which by the way, has amazing technology, is really, really fast, also has parallel executions, um, fully diluted valuation, $3 billion. So, you know, like that, kind of makes more sense to me. I don't buy this. I don't think that um, Facebook has had or has the best developers, to be honest. Um, and I don't think that I want to be backing a, a, a blockchain just because I believe that the, the ex-Facebook developers are going to be there. I think that's a great marketing stunt, but I don't think that that's what I want to be doing. Someone says it reminds me of ICP. Exactly that. It reminds me of Internet Computer. It's a whole bunch of Silicon Valley VCs supporting Silicon, Silicon Valley people. Now, I will change my thesis as time goes by. If I see a lot of people building on it, or if I see that the technology is really fast and is really executing with no downtime, like Solana, for example, then I may change my thesis. But I think right now, unless this token launches at under $2, for me, I'm probably out, to be honest. You, know, you make your own decisions. So that's Aptos. Big news today. It's launching today. So 18th tonight, 12 p.m. UTC. I think that's when Bybit are launching the 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 yeah, 12 p.m. UTC on the on the 18th. So when is that? That's that's happened already, hasn't it? When is UTC? Yeah. Okay, we'll check now. If it if it is launched yeah, two, two hours ago. Let's just let's try find out and see what is trading at. I'll, I'll log in in the meantime. Kyle will log in first and tell us what it's trading at. All right, let's talk about the next story, which is Do Kwan. So Laura Shin, our friend, did an interview with Do Kwan. And it was a long anticipated interview. And holy shit, what came out in that interview. Now, bear in mind that Laura Shin is one of the best crypto journalists in, 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 in crypto. She's been around for a long time. She's a friend of mine. We've done a, a few shows together in the past. She's really, really, really amazing. And she's no nonsense. And she cuts the chase. But also, bear in mind that this interview is edited. Now, if Laura Shin edits an interview, and you can quite clearly see that it's edited, I think she may have had an agreement with Doe, and maybe because of the, the sensitivities of the situation, she, she may have had to edit things out. I'm not sure. I can't say for sure. But let's look at some of the highlights of that interview. And of course, you guys are welcome to go and watch that interview in your own time. The first thing is she asks Doe Kwan about the arrest warrant and why he is not going back to Korea. 
Skywalk. Thanks for having me. Cool. Thanks for agreeing to do this. You were one of the creators of Terra, the algorithmic stablecoin that collapsed in May, wiping out $60 billion in value between Terra and its sister coin, Luna. A South Korean court has issued a warrant for your arrest and even said that Interpol issued a red notice for you, which is a request for law enforcement worldwide to arrest you. Why have you not returned to Korea? Well, so just to set the facts straight, we are currently requesting, uh, made a request to check on the status of the red notice. But as far as I understand, it is not an international arrest warrant and it states so explicitly in this website. So, um, you know, every sovereign nation can interpret a red notice the way that it sees fit. A second point of clarification is since the end of last year, I haven't been living in South Korea. So it wouldn't be accurate to say returning to South Korea, the more accurate point would be would I travel to South Korea? Yes, and I agree with you that I reached out to Interpol twice to request confirmation about the red notice and have not heard anything. So but did you similarly not hear anything back? So as, as you can imagine, this isn't um, like an area. So first of all, I'm not a lawyer or like a law enforcement official. And specifically, even within that, like how red notices work is something that I don't really understand very well. So you see, there's a lot of cuts here. You can, there's a lot of cuts here. So I, I don't know how much of it she was forced to edit, but I can tell you for sure that she wouldn't jeopardize her journalistic integrity. I know Laura well. She wouldn't jeopardize her journalistic integrity. Uh, later on in the interview, our friend Doe, and you've got to hear this, was asked about his arrest warrant. Now, just listen to what he says. I was curious. So it appears, am I wrong in thinking that the reason you have not answered the arrest warrant, or, or tell me, ha have you not answered the arrest warrant because you disagree with these charges or don't find them to be legitimate? We haven't seen a copy of the arrest warrant. So every piece of data that we're consuming regarding this is from the media, which as you can imagine in a situation like this, it's kind of hectic and there's a lot of contradictory information. So- But I, I thought that there was a PDF posted for you because they couldn't physically deliver it to you? Right, yeah, so I haven't seen a copy of this PDF. So besides application of the Capital Markets Act, we haven't been able to see you know, what specific charges that we might be facing. We don't think that any of the charges pertaining to you know, the Capital Markets Act is applicable because the government stance has been that you know, cryptocurrencies shouldn't be governed by Capital Markets Act, that they're not securities, so that's, so that's what he, that's what he speaks about there. Now the next part of it is where he talks about him him actually cooperating with law authorities. So listen to what he says. He he says he's cooperating with law authorities, but he's very skeptical to tell them where he is. Listen to in this. In August, you told the Korea Times he would cooperate with the investigation. But is that essentially what changed? That once the charges came out, that you felt these are not legitimate. No, we we are cooperating. So, for instance, like the. South Korean prosecutors have asked for, you know, clarifications or supporting documents for various different types of things. I, I'm not at a liberty to disclose what exact documents that we have been producing, but we've been cooperating with all the document requests uh, in the capacity. Okay. So you were living in Singapore at the time of the collapse, and Zach Guzman of Coinage said that he interviewed you in Singapore in August. However, on September 17th, Reuters reported that the Singaporean police said that you were no longer in the city state 
And within the hour after that report came out, you tweeted that you were not on the run. And roughly a week later, you also tweeted, yeah, as I said, I'm making zero effort to hide. So these tweets would seem to imply that you are still in Singapore. Are you in Singapore or are you not? Well, so just to clarify, Straight from to the, the media reports that we read, the main allegation regarding as to whether I'm on the run has been that I left to Singapore in, in premeditation of the crash that would happen in May. He changes but the subject. Yeah. That is absolutely not true. So there's been reports as to, you know, how we shut down a Korean subsidiary. I think it was like in April or something like that. And, you know, like various different team members uh, from TFL similarly moved to Singapore to set up headquarters around that time. But that is simply not true. So we right. had... I mean, well, you were still yeah. in Singapore in August, so obviously it's not. But what happened in September? Or did you move out of Singapore? The main reason why I don't want to talk about my location to the media is because when the crash happened in May, there were lots of situations where personal security was threatened, right? And uh, so, for instance, uh, people broke into, you know, my apartment building, even multiple cases in which that was televised across, you know, my home in South Korea, as well as my home in Singapore. Several of these people were reporters and several of these people were just regular people uh, against whom I felt like a fair degree of uh, Okay, then he speaks about the controversy around the LFG Bitcoin. I remember that there's a whole controversy that's going on around LFG and whether they moved Bitcoin after the fact, after the time. So listen to what he says. We're just uncomfortable with the amount of you know, misinformation that is coming out. And we think it's been consistent throughout you know, the last few months. You said in that recent interview with Coinage that the Luna Foundation Guard only has 313 Bitcoin. But Ergo BTC, which is um, this on-chain sleuth who um, is actually like really, really good, um, tracked the Bitcoin wallets of the LFG and concludes that actually LG has more than 313 Bitcoin. And also that since September 15th, wallets associated with LFG have been depositing roughly $65 million worth of Bitcoin into KuCoin and OKX. And the Argo BTC said that um, they were able to confirm the identity associated with these wallets because actually they've been used by LFG back in 2021. And at the conclusion, um, he says, if this analysis were incorrect, we would expect to see a large whale or OTC complaining of unjustly seized funds. And obviously there have been no reports of that. So what do you say to this evidence that your or LFG's funds are actually frozen at these exchanges? Well, so I, I think one of the things that people don't understand at, you know, trade agreements of this scale is that just because, you know, Bitcoin is being transferred doesn't mean that that naked Bitcoin has to be, short, you know, sold on a spot exchange. So, for example, just because, like, Bitcoin is being used to defend USP PEG, does not mean that somebody would put it into, let's say, like a BTC against UST pair and buy that asset directly. There can be intermediary steps. So for instance, there's been allegations. See, see, he never, he never, he never actually unpacks whether or not he moved the Bitcoin around. The last part or the last few parts that I wanna that I want to share with you guys before we go, I want to share with you with you guys 
specifically the part around the DPEG and what happened on the night of the DPEG. So let's quickly go over to here. It's about 109. There we go. ...of how that money was used or even mentioned which market makers executed the PEG defense. Well, so in terms of the market maker, I think, I mean, I, I am bound to some confidentiality, technically. But, you know, I, I think there, there's been pretty accurate assumptions, like, in the market of uh, who the market maker was and things like that. So I, I don't think there's too, too much need to clarify who the market maker was. In terms of, like, the accounting of LFG funds, like, honestly, like, in the beginning, like, a lot of funds, uh, a, a lot of firms just didn't want to touch this. Right. And then it took us some time to secure uh, somebody that was willing to work on uh, the report. And there's a there's a lot of transactions. Right. So uh, it took a little bit of time for them to parse that data as well as try to work with the market makers so that they would produce their data. I think finally, when they're closing phases of that and that on top of like we've, we've had a lot of people quit with the DPEG, as you can understand, there's um when something fails this spectacularly, even the most ardent supporter finds it very difficult to stake their career on like a new version of something that is quite different from what they initially believed in. So it's it's been challenging just across the time, uh, just across the board at PFL, like now, wanting to do even basic things. Okay, now what Laura's gonna ask him, she's gonna ask you about the last part of the the LF of the the, the fans that were moved to protect the peg. Now, you remember that the funds had to be moved with the vote of the of the LFG Foundation. So Doquan couldn't just decide unilaterally to take the money and use the Bitcoin that they had to defend the peg. You needed to get the vote of LFG. And now listen to what happened. It turns out that he actually didn't get the vote of LFG and he just decided unilaterally by himself to defend the peg. Now, to me, that's huge. That is something that he could probably go to jail for. If, if nothing else, that's probably something you can go to jail for. Since you made the LFG to increase Terra's decentralization, why did you unilaterally pull out that last tranche of Bitcoin for deployment by yourself without executing a vote? Okay, so basically, like in terms of LFG directorship, the way that we, we structured it is that initially uh, we had two directors, so which is myself and Nick Claudius, who used to work at PFL a, a couple of years ago um, and was one of the authors of the white paper. And then the idea was that we would gather paperwork from each of the other uh, soon-to-be directors. Yeah, so we were in the middle of that paperwork when the depegging happened. So the timing was just terrible for almost everything. Uh, by the time that we were executing the last clip, um, like there was pretty strong market sentiment that this wasn't going to recover, right? You know, like the LFG Council at that point was kind of like in, in shadows, right? So there were people not engaging. I, I think there was some side chatter about resigning or like um, potential threat to risk and, and things like that. So we were in a situation where we had to execute the last tranches of the trade against sort of like an industry that had sort of turned, turned their backs against us at that point. I mean, this all happened in a, in a matter of 24 to 48 hours. And I think that that, I mean, to be honest, I think that's bullshit. I think that he just, he was always unilaterally running this. And I think probably that co-director, the other person who was supposed to approve it, kind of said, hold on a second. I don't want to be in this anymore. And he left because he realized what a mess these guys were making. Um, there was another part which was really interesting. And that when she talks to him about his net worth, 
and his passport. Because remember, his passport, his South Korean passport, lapses in, in just a couple of days. Listen to this. 15 cents would be getting a lot more tokens from TFL than somebody that joined when Luna was $100, right? And while theoretically people can understand why that happens, it's kind of like demotivating in some sense to have to work with that amount of disparity. But, you know, people talk and they found out, you know, hints of who had many tokens and things like that over time. So that, that had been one of the consistent problems in terms of HR policy at, at TFL. And I, I would assume many other developers. I want to um, ask you um, some questions about your situation. And you mentioned your finances um, a minute or two ago. What was your total net worth before you started Terra? And what's your current net worth? Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable answering that question. All right. In the next several days, it looks like your South Korean passport will be invalidated. What do you plan to do at that point? I'm not using it anyway, so it doesn't. I can't see how that makes a difference to me. Meaning you don't intend to travel from where you are now? No, that's, that's not what I meant. Do you have another passport that you can use to travel? Yeah, so just in general, like with personal travel plans or location or things like that, it, it does get pretty horrible for me, given the amount of publicity around this. So I just don't feel comfortable talking about, you know, location or how I plan to travel. So I just want to show you one more part. So, I mean, he dodges that question, but I guess he's probably got a second passport. Something seen as an achievement in and of itself, you became, I think... I want, I want you guys to hear this part. Contribute your own personal funds to these reimbursements or to this compensation? My personal funds are not significant enough to make a difference to any of these distributions. You've been through some extreme highs and extreme lows in your young life. You went to Stanford undergrad, which obviously is something seen as an achievement in and of itself. You became, I think, the biggest crypto star in Korea. Now you're probably one of the most notorious men in Korea. The South Korean government wants to arrest you. How do you feel about the direction that your life has taken? Laura, to be honest, I think it's going to take a couple years um, and some sobriety retrospect for me to fully internalize everything that has happened. But like one of the things that I want to clarify is given some of the jokes that I made on Twitter or anything like that, but it was never really about, you know, money or, you know, you know, fame or a success quite in those terms. I'm sort of like a person that like likes making toys. Right. So what I mean is I derive a lot of enjoyment from, from just simply tinkering with things. So for, in, for instance, like even outside of programming, I enjoy building furniture, for instance, or these days, I guess, sometimes to cook. So like from that perspective, like I think one of the things that I hope the next few years would clarify is what happened with Terra was... It, it wasn't a scam, like it wasn't a fraud, right? It was a massive market failure. But I think one of the things I want to clarify is I believed in the need and the viability for decentralized algorithmic stablecoins more than anyone else. And as founders, we are, we, we sometimes have a bias, and in some cases, erroneous bias for being bullish, right? So a lot of people say that I'm an idiot for, you know, buying Bitcoin right before it was about to crash or something like that. 
but this positionally speaking, like isn't crypto made better or any industry made better if there are people that just just a little bit like believe in things and is more optimistic than other people about how things are going to pan out and how things are going to work. I, I, I think the most important thing is like we really did try to hold ourselves to a pretty high standard of integrity. And I think now we're starting to make some attempts to make sure that we provide the right kind of information out there so that people can understand what happened better. We are a pretty small organization at this point. So there's sometimes going to be things that we won't be able to answer everything, right? Because there's, there's just too much accusations coming out and some without like any factual basis or something like that. But we are trying our best. Someone says it says Grand Bogota Hotel under his cap. Did, did anyone else pick that up? It's actually on the cup behind his head. On the cup behind his head. Is there a cup behind his head that says bottom right? And it says Grand Bogota Hotel. I mean, that is possible. Maybe he's in Colombia. I can't see it. Can you guys see it? I mean, if anyone can see it, let us know. Send it to us. Uh, but I mean, does it say Grand Bogota Hotel? It's possible. I mean, there was ETH DevCon. I don't think you would have been seen at ETH DevCon. Anyway, that's the Doquan interview. Um, listen, I get, guys, I know I said a 10x, I, I would fund some portfolios there, but we are running out of time. So what I suggest you guys do is go and sign up for the trading competition today. Tomorrow we'll do some more portfolio uh, uh, funding. I see there are 1,011 people on Bybit. Uh, and I see that's probably about the same or half of that. I don't, I don't know the exact numbers on BitGet. I don't actually publish the, the numbers. But go and sign up today. I'll see you guys again tomorrow where I will put, uh, where I will do at least five accounts on Bybit and five accounts on BitGet. Um, yeah, I've got, I've got to be somewhere. That's why I can't do it now. So, guys, see you guys again tomorrow. Until then, have fun. Trade well, my friends. us at $44 on Hotbit. I mean, you've got to be an idiot. $44 billion for Aptos.